Hey, my name is Chuck. I have a new life in Christ. I'm in recovery for pornography, comfort, and this week not trusting God's goodness in my own life. Good to see you guys and good to be with you tonight. So we've been in this series of the Proverbs and really looking at what wisdom is all about. And tonight I have the unique opportunity to talk about the difference between lying and deceit and honesty. And I'd like to illustrate it this way. Springtime is special for me because it's baseball season. I grew up playing baseball from the time I was in elementary, junior high, high school, on through college. I love it. And I, in high school, played for a very small Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. And my coach had really one rule, and it was we couldn't use any kind of tobacco products, none at all. He would let us use sunflower seeds, big league chew, all of that, but no tobacco products. And I always felt, you know what? The rules don't always apply to me. And so I thought, how in the world is he going to know the difference, right? And so I put a chaw in my mouth thinking there's no way he'll know the difference between tobacco and bubble gum, and the game began. Late spring afternoon, and there was a batter. Our pitcher threw him a fastball, and a ball was hit over my head in center field, and I just took off and started running, thinking I would have to get to where the ball had to be. And when I looked up, I realized the only way I was going to catch this ball was to dive. And when I dove, I remember the ball hitting the mitt, and I remember my belly hitting the ground, which created this involuntary swallowing motion. And in that moment, Psalm 32.3 had a new meaning for me. I felt weak deep inside me. And I moaned all day long and all night long, continuing all the way through, and paid this incredible price for my dishonesty. I think it's fair to say that living honest and authentic lives is what God desires for all of us. A friend early in my recovery reminded me, and I say this all the time because it meant so much to me. He said, being somewhat honest is a lot like being somewhat pregnant. You're either honest or you're not, and you're either pregnant or you're not. And as Dave has reminded us throughout this series, a great working definition for wisdom is living God's way in God's world And given the way the Proverbs approach life, I think it's fair to say that honesty is living God's way in God's world. So what is it? What is honesty? See, honesty is truthfulness. An honest person has the habit of making accurate and trustworthy statements about life, about themselves, about others, and about God. So what does it look like when lying and deceit come into the picture? I think that's best described in Jeremiah 9.5. Listen to what the prophet writes. He says, everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. It's fair to say that one of the things that sin does in all of our lives is it removes truth from our mouths. It's part of the tragedy and the damage of sin. Yet God is a God of truth, and he wants truth-telling and truthfulness in everything that we do, which creates an honest and a real relationship with him. As you read the Proverbs, you will know that dishonest gain is the fool's way. 
and wisdom's gain is honest in every way. So when you go through Proverbs, there's some, th- some interesting things that happen. God tells you what he values, but he also tells you what he hates and what he does not value. And if you practice these things, it's not going to be healthy, it's not going to be good, and it's causing problems in your life. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19 is one of those lists where God tells you what we shouldn't do. He says this, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. As I read this list, I kind of laughed because you have these six things that God hates, and then he takes one of those six things and repeats it. So it becomes the seventh thing that is detestable, an abomination unto him. A lying tongue is there at the beginning, and a false witness is there at the bottom. It is so reprehensible to this God of wisdom. He mentions it twice just so we get the point. Yet, he's also very specific about what it looks like to live a wise life what it looks like to be honest in our relationships and with all we come in contact, and particularly honest with God and our souls. He says this in Proverbs 8, verses 6 through 9. He says, listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right, and my mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just, and none of them are crooked or perverse. To the the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. So biblically, we understand and we really begin to see how important honesty is and what an abomination a lying tongue and deceit actually is is. And so, as you think about it biblically, and you think about it from a life perspective, you say that makes perfect sense. It really is true for those of us that are in recovery. If you've been through groundwork, one of the most pivotal lessons is entitled rigorous honesty. So, what's meant by that idea, and why is that idea so significant? Let's put it this way. Deceit And lying can come in many different forms, particularly when we find ourselves in the middle of our struggles. I don't know about you, but before entering recovery, I made a practice of lying multiple times all day long. And those lies were to cover up and to cover my tracks. And honestly, so that I wouldn't have to face the consequences and the things that my sin caused me to do. I had trouble keeping track of the lies, the excuses, and the story, and lying became almost virtually automatic for me. I found this out. I found it out about me. Maybe it's true about you. I lie to me better than I lie to anybody else. I can deceive myself quicker than I can deceive any other human 
being. And I would remind all of us, because sometimes I think we make lying just that thing where it's only about the words that we use. But great liars don't have to use words to deceive. We also have to be rigorously honest about our various deceptions and manipulations that we force on other people. I'd remind you this, too. When you start practicing rigorous honesty, it can be challenging because you're not just taking the easy way out because a lot of times we'll, we'll weigh the consequences and we'll say, man, it looks like to me that lying is a better option than it is rigorously telling the truth because rigorous honesty means sharing thoughts and feelings that have consequences. But for some, someone in recovery, here's what we always have to choose. We choose to tell the truth in spite of the possible outcomes. Why? I don't know about you, but I haven't entered these rooms, these places for practice. I've entered these rooms because I wanted freedom. And I came into this room because it was effective to start telling the truth about what was going on. I found this happening for me in step four inventory. My mentor, upon the completion of my inventory, asked me a really important question. In step five, when I'd done my confession and I'd gone through my inventory, he asked me this just salient question. Is there anything that needs to be on this inventory that's not there? At the time, I'm leading a pilot group through Regen, which is a group of people who are going to launch Regen in a local church. And I was responsible for that group. And instead of telling my mentor the truth, because there was something that wasn't on that inventory, something I said would go with me to my grave, I go, no, man, I'm good. Everything that's on there needs to be on there. There's nothing that I'm missing that's there. I'm sitting in my Regen step group the following week. We're all in the same place, and I asked them, I said, what in inventory has been incredibly significant for you? And a guy to my right raised his hand. He said, man, I've got to say this. He said, I've got to say it because I don't want to be stuck in this same place a year from now. I want freedom. Here's what I'm going to say that I've never said to another human being. When I was 12 years old, I was sexually abused and molested by a family member. And I remember when he said those words looking at that room. And if you've ever been in a room where the atmosphere changed, you'll know what I mean by this. Everybody in that room now had permission to be rigorously honest and another person started sharing something significant in their life, and the next man, and the next man, and I saw what was going on, and it came to my turn. And that thing that I would not put on my inventory, that thing that I just sat there and said, no way, I'm going to take this to the grave, I found it coming out of my mouth as I told that group when I was eight years old. I was sexually abused and molested by a neighborhood boy for two years. I never wanted to say it because I was afraid of what others would think about me, how they would perceive my manhood, that, that they would see me as being someone that was weak, that was there. I confessed it to a group of men 
because it became a safe place and someone was honest and decided that was the most important thing. So let me ask you this question. What is the honest last 2% that you need to share in the groups that you find yourself in tonight? Would you be willing to take that step of honesty and experience the freedom that God desires for you? Because if you can't be honest in this room, where are you going to find another place where honesty and transparency are so valued and accepted? And for another group of people that may be in this room, for those who've never accepted Christ as their Savior, maybe the greatest lie we tell ourselves is that we make a good God. And we, we don't need a Savior. We are perfectly able to handle our life situation. And yet, we find ourselves here. We begin to understand the lie we tell ourselves is a lie indeed, that we are a bad God and a terrible Savior. And I want to remind every one of you, be encouraged because Christ has gone before you. He loves you just as you are, broken. And at the same time, he loves you enough not to leave you that way. He has a plan for your life. He is a good, good father. True freedom is the ability to choose your own master. And if we're honest again, all of us have been mastered by someone or something. Who do you choose to give your allegiance to? For me and a group of guys in a step group, we decided that we were going to be bond servants of this one called Jesus who said, I come to break your chains. I come to take away those things that feel heavy and feel impossible for you to deal with. And I come to bring you rest. That's who I am. That's who I'll be for you. Are you keeping secrets from God, friend? Is there any part of your past or present that you hope God and other trusted friends will never discuss? Because I'll remind you of this. Once you're in the grip of God's grace, you're free to be honest because he knows everything about you. The good, the bad, and everything in between. Test him. Try him. Let him be the one that you bring it all to and watch this good, good Father, meet you right where you are. You'll be glad that you took that step of faith. And so tonight you get to hear the story of one who's found that kind of freedom in Christ. Would you welcome our friend Jen?